John. Yeah. You are n- you're not going to believe this. What? So what? I saw this movie uh-huh. and like it's a it's kind of like a remake of an old TV show. Yeah. Yeah. And it's like uh starring like a guy who's like famous from like teen heartthrob movies. Mhm. And it's like uh it's about like old older people pretending to be young people. Cool, cool. You're really you're really belaboring this description, but yeah, yeah, yeah. But I'm confused, John. The movie is good. Oh. Well, that let's is... let's get you into the recording studio and give you a nice mug of coffee. I think you need to sit down. I'm so confused. We usually see bad remakes. What is happening here, John? This is less rare than you think. Come on inside. I'm going to let Help you watch me. the 90s Brady Bunch movies, which are also surprisingly good. Help and me, And then you'll know Help that me. it's okay. No, it's okay. Come I'm on so in. Cold. It's I'm okay. so cold. <laughs> Just say toot toot. <laughs> toot toot. <laughs> <laughs> Recovered? Have you recovered, Veronica? Oh, it's been years. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. We had to stop recording. We did, but we've time traveled back to finish recording the episode about the movie you watched 20 years ago. <laughs> yes, yes. Um, A movie that our listeners may have watched 10 years ago, because you're listening to mm. Box Office Time Machine. This is one of the weeks where we do a number one movie from the past... I'm John Bershad. I'm Veronica Yarovsky. And this week, what are we talking about, Veronica? Uh, We're talking about a very delightful uh, 21 Jump Street. (laughs) Yep, from, God, 10 10 years ago. I know, it's so hard to believe. Like, also, it is kind of weird watching this movie that I've seen in theaters Mm -hmm. that feels way more recent than it actually was. But then I look at Brie Larson and I'm like, yeah, she definitely like was yeah. way younger. But I feel like how, everyone how else kind of looks the movie? same. I don't know. Well, that's I, probably because she's she was probably really young. Yeah, I guess so. But she's the only one that looks markedly different. Not Dakota Johnson. No, she looks the same. <laughs> I mean. This is not to say that like Brie Larson looks like an old hag now. It's just that I feel like she's sort of the most noticeably young person. I've seen Dave Franco recently in uh, uh, The After Party. He looks identical. Mm-hmm. Uh, we saw uh, Jonah Hill recently and Don't Look Up. He kind of looks the same. Well, I guess like he had like, yeah, he had like some weight. Uh, sort of loss issues 
Channing Tatum, according to the trailer for The Lost City, looks kind of the same. But yeah, Brie Larson kind of, you know, became well, a she, dignified I, Mrs. Marvel. I just or no, that's not up. Captain Marvel. <laughs> yep. The, she's Mrs. Marvel. The Marvelous, the Marvelous Mrs. Marvel. Mrs. Marvel. <laughs> it's about a woman who gets dumped and then she flies <laughs> through space. You know what? If that was the movie, I would have might have enjoyed it more. <laughs> Why haven't we need to get our Marvel our Marvel movie that's also incredibly Jewish? That's when when's our time? I guess maybe with Moon Knight, but we haven't seen it yet. It hasn't come out. Anyway, I looked it up. Uh, Brie Larson is uh, was either twenty two or twenty three when this was filmed. Oh wow! Yeah. Dang, Next. she's younger than us. That's upsetting to me. 1989. Not to date us, but to date this movie, yep, 10 <laughs> years ago. <laughs> Veronica, you said you saw it in the theaters. What's your history with 21 Jump Street? Um, TV show shot... or films? Oh. Or the what films? TV show or films. Oh, uh, I have no history with the TV show uh, as I am very young. <laughs> as young as Brie Larson almost. Uh, and, uh, but I have seen this in theaters. My expectations were pretty low as referenced by our amazing cold open. Uh, but then I had a very good time with it. I thought it was pretty fun, but I remember having some reservations about it. I have since rewatched it twice and I don't remember what I have reservations about. I feel like this movie is, I don't know. It's really, really good. Uh, and I don't even have anything negative to say about it. I feel like from my perspective, it would be a very fangirly episode because I really like it. And I really like 22 Jump Street uh, as well. And I hope we do it in a few years. <laughs> <laughs> well, um, uh, oh, my goodness. What was I about to say? Oh, um, it's understandable that you would have been a little hesitant going to see it in 2012. Uh, this did not look like a good property. A Channing Tatum, no. <laughs> Tatum, Jonah Hill um, action comedy reboot of a TV show that didn't need to be rebooted. I just looked at the poster. The poster is them at prom, and the tagline is, The only thing getting blown tonight is their cover. So, yeah, <laughs> nothing would have promised high quality except um, the uh, participation of uh, Lord and Miller, the writer-directors. Right. I was very excited to see this movie in 2012 because Clone High, their TV show, was one of my favorite shows of all time. And oh, when I saw hi, this in 2012, really I loved this movie. I loved this movie in 2012, and I still very much liked it. I will say, though, 10 years later, some of its flaws are a little more noticeable to me. But overall, <laughs> I still love it. Oh, yeah, and I never saw the TV show. Sorry, uh, Richard Grieco fans. Was he in that? I think he was in it, right, for, for a bit. Was he the, the other guy? He's not was the he one in this. What's well, funny, so I think, let's start there. I, I mentioned in the opening the Brady Bunch movies. And watching this, I realize how similar it is to the 90s Brady Bunch movies. The idea that it is an homage, but very much a parody. It includes loving cameos from the original cast members, uh, uh, you know, making jokes of, of themselves. Um, and like those movies, it works incredibly well. And I got to say, um, 
the 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 cameo from Johnny Depp and um oh, I apologize other guy one minute. I um, want to say his name is Joe Piscopo, but there's no way it is that's not true. SNL's Joe Piscopo. Peter <laughs> D- uh, DeLuise. Sorry, we oh. we're too young to have seen the movie, the TV show. Um, their cameo reveal is still great. Yeah. Do you want to talk about the great stuff first, or the stuff that I thought uh, was didn't hold up as well? Yeah, let's start with the good stuff. Uh, I will say, whoever realized that Channing Tatum can do comedy is should deserves a medal of some kind. Uh, I think he's, I think he's the best part of the movie. I think just his character uh, is so great. I mean, his ability to both be kind of a dumb jock but also kind of sensitive and also nerdy and kind of have it all be believable and charming is fairly unique i feel like not a lot of people can really pull it off uh and he was so great and i think just like his dynamic with jonah hill was so so good i also think dave franco is really good (laughs) i think i remember not Maybe he was like one of the things that I didn't really like initially watching. Really, uh, but now I don't know. I think he he's really good. He like plays. Maybe I thought it felt to me at the time that he wasn't in on the joke as much, which clearly he is. Like rewatching it, um, yeah. I think just like all the genre stuff works so well. The fact that the action melts so well with the comedy is really good. Uh, yeah, and all the, you know, high school movie parodies work well, too. So it's just, it feels like a very well thought out movie that basically pays off everything that it sets up. And it's so rare uh, to see that in a modern comedy. I feel like there are very few modern comedies that I actually like. It feels like it's rarer and rarer, and this is like the rare movie that I feel like nails it. What yeah. are your positives? Yeah, I think there were like two two major studio comedies. Well, no, there's more than that. But like of studio comedies that I bring up of like, okay, these are big budget studio comedies that really work. I like in the past 10 years have brought up this movie and uh, the first Jumanji, which I think I've brought on this podcast multiple times on the record as saying I like. When we come to the 10-year anniversary of that, we'll watch it and I'll be like, what was I thinking? But no, I remember loving that movie. But um, this one, I'm going to start the thing that I'll start with the thing that I love the most. The prologue to this movie is so effective at getting you to understand these guys and really like them and really Mm -hmm. genuinely care about their friendship, which is the strongest part of this movie. Yeah. Um, Rewatching it, uh, rewatching it, I, I, the first act is, I think a little, uh, uh, is probably my least favorite part. All the stuff outside of the school and outside away from the classmates and teachers is stuff. I don't really like Um, the stuff. You don't like Korean Jesus. The stuff in the 21 Jump Street location always feels like it's just about to take off. Like, I want to hear Dakota Johnson and the other woman have more outrageous stories about their busts. I want to see them in more crazy costumes. Um, the Like, it's it takes, you know, like 25 minutes for them to get to the school, um, which makes sense. But, like, some of that stuff just isn't my favorite parts of the movie. But that opening, everything from them 
the whole 2005 section um, through uh, through the the police the academy stuff works so well. The the bicycle the whole first bust. That's when I start being like, yeah, okay. Um, <laughs> I do like the bicycle stuff quite a bit, though. It kind of, I don't know, just like there's something so funny to me for some reason having like you know these giant men cops like be like riding on a small bike and yeah. not being competent at it that i don't know adds to it but i can see it not being sort of I it's definitely not the best part of the movie well there's part of it um uh so when this movie came out we were coming out of the decade of or I guess maybe it wasn't that, well, it was probably more like eight or so years. We But we had had years of the Apatow brand of comedy. Um, first the Apatow movies, and then all their ripoffs, where they just threw out the script, and it was just the same six guys improvising for ten minutes in every scene. And I mm-hmm. grew so quickly to hate that so much. <laughs> and there are moments where you still see the remnants of that style of comedy in this. And I think a Mm -hmm. lot of it is in like that bus scene. Um, But then there's other parts of this movie that are so well scripted that all so many setups are set up and paid off. Um, I love that. And then once they get to the school, I love the stuff with Ellie Kemper. Um, Everything (laughs) in that initial drug montage is fucking hilarious. Oh, the, the one thing I like in the in the beginning, uh, like before the school, is that uh, video of I, is the actor's name? Oh yeah, know. with the guy Johnny plays Simmons. Li- yeah. yeah, he plays a uh, little young Neil, Neil. young Neil, young in, Neil, uh, <laughs> uh, Scott yeah. Pilgrim. Um, he's hilarious, and then it perfectly sets up them on the drugs. Ten minutes, twenty minutes later, that whole section is fucking and Brie hilarious. Larson on the drugs at the end too. Yep, perfect payoff to that. I love her character. I've um I remember at the time uh really loving well I think at the time I had a big crush on her. Um I was like who <laughs> is this? Just at the time you you've gotten over it. <laughs> no, yeah, yeah. She asked me out recently. I turned her down. I said wow. <laughs> said sorry, sorry. Sorry, I'm a DC guy. <laughs> <laughs> um but I I really loved her character. I love that, yeah, she does get to be I mean she is kind of damseled at the very end, but like her bursting into the crime scene uh, well, high as shit on this fake fictional drug is very funny. Um, and I liked all their relationship scenes. I liked a lot. Um, I, all right, I'm no, we're not going to like break this into good or bad. That doesn't really make sense. Um, <laughs> one of my main problems with this movie is there's some really weird editing choices. And mm. I, I'll get back to that later. But because of that, I was trying to see what was cut. And I looked up the deleted scenes because it seems like there's a, a few things where there are things that feel like uh, punchlines to setups that didn't happen. Um, I feel like mm-hmm. maybe I like I feel like we should have seen the girl in the limo earlier. I can't remember if we ever saw that character before. Oh yeah, that was I kind of looked away from the screen and then like she was in the limo with Channing Tatum and I was like. Was she set up before? Because she wasn't one of the dates of the nerdy guys. No, because those were all uh, the... Yeah. There was a very weird... There was a, a, um, a moment earlier where we should have had... Uh, oh, it's after their first bust. And you expect to have a hard cut to them being yelled at by um, their boss. 
uh, yeah. by the chief, Nick Offerman. And instead, there's just a quiet scene of them walking through the station and saying hi to a, a, a group of uh, sex workers. And um, I at the moment, I was like, why would they keep that in there? What a momentum killer. And it's only there to set up that they're the nerdy, nerdy <laughs> kids uh, dates later. Um, another a thing that isn't really used at all. But um, <laughs> uh, but there's other stuff. Like, I feel like uh, the line... He says the line to when he, but right before he shoots Rob Riggle, he says, "You peaked in high school," which feels like it's, I don't know, maybe Rob Riggle just played the character a bit different, but that never really seemed to be Rob Riggle's character game. He just seemed like a lunatic. Um, <laughs> but anyway, so I was looking up deleted scenes, and um, I most of it is just improv. Just they released ten minutes of improv. But there's, yeah, there's like a whole like special feature of just like Rob Riggle one-liners. I'm sure. I think. <laughs> I'm sure. Um, but there is a there is a deleted scene, the one that like full deleted scene, uh, would have so ruined the Jonah Hill, uh, uh, Brie Larson relationship, and it's already mm. kind of creepy. But this scene is so gross and unpleasant. It's so obvious why they cut it. It's the two of them in bed at night trying to talk them, trying to rationalize why they should be allowed to have sex with high school girls. Oh, God. And it goes on for like, it's it, but it's a lot of them being like, well, it's, you know, it's a gray area because like, like our characters, it'd probably be more suspicious if we don't have sex with girls. <laughs> um, and then it ends with, <laughs> it ends with them being like, okay, good night. And then they both are so turned on that they start jerking off under their covers. Oh, God. Um, and it's the visual joke is that uh, from the size of their strokes, it's very clear that Jonah Hill's penis is very small while Channing Tatum's is very large. It is. <laughs> it would have been the worst scene in the movie by about 8 billion times. <laughs> it is so obvious yeah. why they cut it. Um, but my long way short, like, it would always I really be liked, like from a different movie, you know. Like, yeah. I mean, you can watch it. It feels tonally, it feels like tonal, like it feels consistent in characterization. It's just like the whole relationship thing is a little gross already, and it calls so much attention to it. Um, right. Well, it feels like it's almost. Uh, I was going to say that another thing I like about this movie is that it's a teen movie, but it doesn't, like, necessarily... It kind of, like, subverts a lot of the mm -hmm. teen movie tropes of, like, the movies that you and I grew up in with high school, with in high school, like, American Pie or something like that. And that scene you just described as, like, straight out of something like American Pie without any sort of twist on it it seems like it was just like you know a scene that would just happen in one of those movies i so think kind of glad they cut it out <laughs> i think it's intended to be one of the more parody scenes of like we're i think it's supposed to be with it like we're purposefully hanging a lampshade on how kind of creepy this relationship is but it mm. instead it just makes it worse um right. but yeah i don't know i <laughs> I feel like I do want to just get through like the things I didn't like just so I, I can also just talk about how much I like this movie because I really do do, uh, still do love this movie. But it's really just, there is just some strange editing stuff. Like mm. there's one thing where this, this, I don't know how it played beforehand, but like clearly two scenes got swapped in order. 
Um, Because there's a bunch of like bizarre ADR in the first act that to me, first half to me implies a lot of like moving things around and uh, cut scenes. Um, One of them is, uh, um, uh, oh, what is it? It's, oh, when Jenko's going to bust in, he goes to see the nerds when he first hears about them having, um, uh, them having the spy technology, the, the yeah. them they can encrypt the phones or whatever the fuck. Um, there's an ADR line where Jonah Hill's like, "You should go check out those nerdy kids or something." Where he's like, <laughs> I, I, "He says that," and then if you watch the scenes in opposite order, it would have made sense. Um, following the next scene where they find that, like for that for him to naturally be like, "Oh, I should go look for see who's in the science lab and see who's making this stuff." Um, mm. but like maybe the just the moment the pacing didn't work. But there's the one that really f- felt super weird is when those same nerds come to their party. The door opens and we see the backs of Jonah Hill and Channing Tatum, and we see the nerds. And there's the eighty yard lines. Who invited you guys? I did. And then it cuts to their faces and Channing Tatum goes, the party's here. And Jonah Hill makes a a grimace. Um, And it's like the emotion of those two lines was told in the, the party's here. Channing Tatum's excited. He invited them. Jonah Hill's not happy that they're there. And then it cuts to Jonah Jonah Hill being like, uh, like trying to stop them as they walk in. So it's just like, I don't understand why those very odd sounding 80 yard lines are there. Because the mm-hmm. idea is already, it just, there's stuff like that where I think I'm so used to, at this point, I feel like all studio comedies or uh, studio comedies really kind of have stolen a lot of um, Edgar Wright's kind of editing as comedy. Right. And I think it was a little surprising to see a movie that really doesn't do that that much and also had some like, I don't know, just awkward, fine to like visible seams in some of the editing. Yeah, another thing that I noticed about exactly like that nerd scene is that like, so yeah, they, you know, party time. And then like in the next scene, I feel like there should be a comedic payoff for like the party either being empty and them being like the only ones there with the nerds or whatever. But it's just then you cut to just like a normal party. People seem to be having a good time. Like there's nothing necessarily. It felt like the it almost like like it didn't really matter that those guys came in first necessarily really like so it almost like didn't need that joke i guess or i don't know it felt like it was either it was like halfway there i guess yeah i don't know it's um i i mean i think it's probably like all movies you know go through tons of editing i and i bet there's just a lot of comedic stuff that got cut i i'm sure ellie kemper had more scenes in the movie i mean we oh, see yeah. them having sex in uh the credits um <laughs> good so, yeah <laughs> but i i would i would imagine that just it still works her last scene of being like being like run away no come back run away but it, <laughs> it feels like the punchline. it feels like we got the first scene with her and the third scene with her but we never got the second scene with her mm-hmm yeah i don't know it just i think that's overall just the thing that i 
noticed the the most that kind of didn't work with me is that I felt it felt less effortless watching it now. The editing felt a little uh, a little sweatier. Well, I feel like it's also because you've seen it now. I assume not just the second time, right? So maybe the the first time you saw it. It was just, you know, it was exciting and it was like so good that you were not really trying to pay attention to anything else. And now that you are watching it for our very academic podcast, <laughs> you are you are noticing all sorts of things. Uh, but yeah, I was kind of surprised that I went the other way, though, where I, I remember like having like oh. problem. Yeah, I think like I couldn't even like tell you really what I had an issue with. I think it was Dave Franco because I had issues with Dave Franco and many things that he had done early on. So I assumed that was him. But yeah, no, he was great. Like they were I I thought I don't know. I thought the movie was so good. Maybe the expectation, maybe I like coming into it thinking that I had an issue with it kind of, I don't know, maybe lowered my expectations enough where I didn't even notice anything. But or maybe just watching a ton of really bad movies <laughs> kind of made this look so good in comparison. I think I I remember um, I remember you know f- seeing a few flaws with it at the time. Like I as as much as I loved it and again still love it. I remember not really liking. The ice tea, uh, ice tea, ice cube uh, character <laughs> in this one. I think he works better in the second one. I feel right. like um, I, I. F- it's funny. It's similar to Wayne's World that we uh, watched two episodes ago, where I feel like I feel this kind of tug and a tug of war of how meta the movie is going to get. Um, mm-hmm. And I don't know. I feel like. The either the setup or the punchline of um, Ice Cube literally being the stereotypical angry black police captain, just something about it has never worked for me. I I really like him in the second movie where uh, one of them is dating his daughter. I forget who. Yeah, I, I think it's. Oh yeah, which one is it? I don't know. I do remember that that is a thing. Oh, it it must be Channing Tatum, right? Because. Jonah Hill has like the whole thing with uh, her roommate, right? Uh, well, I think actually is or he maybe dating that's her, the and the roommate hates him, and then the roommate's yes. the villain. Yeah, who knows? But like, I, I actually, um, but yeah, I loved the. Um, do, do you like? What do you think about the balance of the meta stuff and the actual story stuff? Um. I think it's pretty good in my opinion. I I Yeah, I couldn't even I couldn't say that I needed more of either. So I suppose to me they're sort of like at the right balance. I feel like maybe towards the end we get a bit too shoot 'em uppy, but I feel like that's kind of how this is supposed to end, I suppose. Mm. Uh but to your point about uh Ice Cube I feel like it sort of it at that time there was a I feel like every comedy or many comedies had like this foul mouth boss character mm-hmm. who like who would be very graphic about you know torturing their subordinates. I feel like Sue Sylvester from Glee which is mentioned there was like 
the biggest phenomenon and it was all because she was like very mean and very sort of uh i guess uh colorful in her mm -hmm. language when demeaning people and i feel like they were i i don't know how much it was that they were trying to do like an angry black man as opposed to just like a foul mouthed boss uh character oh. yeah well if you want <laughs> if you watch the deleted scenes. Oh boy! Um, his I feel like the deleted scenes are gonna make me hate this movie because everything <laughs> you've said so far. His introductory scene goes a little longer, and this—it's the scene where he's like, "Yes, do yes, I'm literally an angry black police captain. What oh, I'm okay. teaching you is that you need to live to your stereotypes." And then he says, "Like the Channing Tatum's handsome," and then he says the thing about Jonah Hill, which at the end is, "And I think you're good with money." Which, and then <laughs> Jonah Hill's like, "What the fuck?" And so suddenly, like anti-Semitic. And then the punchline at the end of that scene was originally he points to the Asian woman and he goes, "And I'd bet my career that you can't drive." And it's <laughs> it's a, another one where it's like, "Well, yeah, I see why that was cut." But I think, I think yeah, the this is like a cutscene from Falling Down. <laughs> <laughs> I think like the beginning of that scene is kind of supposed to be the setup to this joke that they're all like he wants he's a racist stereotype, so he wants them all to be racist stereotypes. And I think the joke mm -hmm. doesn't work, so they cut the end to the joke, and so like I I think it hurts his introduction. I don't think the completed joke would have been better. But yeah, yeah, I don't know, like, shit, I want to stop focusing on the stuff I don't like. <laughs> um, <laughs> we've talked about this. You know, I go on this podcast and sound like I hate every movie and then <laughs> give them all B pluses. Um, this is a movie yeah. I genuinely really like. Um, yeah. I, uh, let's talk about some other, so I said I love the Ellie Kemper scenes. Um, mm -hmm. she's, she's so funny. I miss seeing her more regularly. Um, yeah, that's good. Do you think she kind of got blacklisted because of the th that St. Louis debutante ball? That like oh god, that... I totally forgot about that. I um, hope not. No, um, I doubt it. I mean, that's it's it seemed a little tenuous. It, it wasn't the idea that like they didn't have a racist thing the year she was involved, but in the past they had. <laughs> yeah. I mean, yeah, I, I, well, I think, yeah, they had a history of racism. By the time that she uh, debuted, it was probably a more diluted thing of racism. They might have already, like, maybe had African-American members in, I forget what it's called, the Night Vale or something like that. The Yeah. I, anyway. I, I just think there's, there's like, I mean... I, I don't remember it, so I probably shouldn't be speaking on it. Um, but I, I, I do feel like, unfortunately, look, we look at any l tradition that we hold dear, um, especially if it's either a beauty pageant or a um, part of, was it a Southern community or just a really rich, like, country club? I forget what her background is. But either way... Somewhere really rich, somewhere really yeah. southern, something that's um, about judging uh, the qualities of women. If you look back a few decades in the history of that tradition, you will start to really not like what you see. Yeah, well, I think also just uh, I'm not I'm not saying that she she should necessarily bear any responsibility for that ball, but like reading about it, it it is creepy. It's like. It's 
eyes wide shut e like the the guys are all like uh, uh, wearing these like veiled i think it's called the veiled prophet right okay and, so it's it's rich person stuff this <laughs> yeah and like i think the women have to kiss his feet and there's oh. a lot of like weird stuff that have and apparently you're not supposed to take pictures so it's like kind of mysterious and it all uh and it's all basically families of i guess like the best families of St. Louis uh yeah i don't know it's it's a uh, weird thing it's i think it's i kind misremembered of like, what it was that's super weird um but it's I, <laughs> yeah I no was... i i i feel like uh yeah maybe for her it wasn't a obviously that weird since she might have like grown up in that tradition but i think that's, also, that's at that point part. maybe it was also just you know not as overtly problematic as it was in the past. I think it's uh, hard to judge kids on the the community that their parents choose to bring them up in. Right, exactly. She but might I, not have, you know, had a choice. I'm sure maybe she maybe she laid, laid low for a year after that. But like, I'm I hope she's still working. I was gonna guess it was a it was an even more cynical reason why she. Uh, I mean, maybe she has she done stuff recently. Maybe we just haven't seen it. No, you're right. I mean, yeah, I feel like she released a book and oh. it was fairly well received. And then that whole thing happened where, you know, someone I recently heard this on a podcast where uh, on Twitter, everyone eggs the same house. Mm. And that kind of felt like that was for her. Like it was trending and everyone kept just piling on. And I felt kind of bad for her. Um, oh, she was the villain in that. She and uh, was one of the two villains in that um, that Home Alone sequel. Oh yeah, she was. I kind of wanted to see it because it has the non JoJo Rabbit kid from JoJo Rabbit, who I really liked. <laughs> he, I think he plays the Kevin McAllister role. Well, uh, all the all the reviews seemed to imply it had like the really bizarre framing where it's uh, she and Rob Delaney. But they're um, the idea is that they're they've just lost a bunch of money and they're like just two poor people trying to break in to get something that was taken from them from this rich kid. I don't know. (laughs) From description of it, it made me think like, oh, was this originally written as a parody where because I think that would be a fun idea to make a Home Alone parody where the adults are the main characters and the kid is basically an evil monster. And you know what? Now that I'm describing it, I guess that was what Pro- Problem Child was. Yeah. Or Dennis the Menace, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but yeah, that's a dark spin. I I assume it doesn't end up being that since it's on Disney Plus. But, uh, you know, a girl can dream. Yeah. I also say Chris Parnell really good. Uh, oh yeah, in this but, movie, uh, he has a couple of really great lines. Um, I mean, I've seen <laughs> um, uh, memes. I've seen a lot of gifs of that thing where he says, "You know, all right, let's try it again. Why don't you do it faster and cooler and funnier and better?" <laughs> I also like the line of like, "I should be doing something." <laughs> <laughs> Because I feel like it also kind of pays off that Jake Johnson says the same line at the beginning or something about the drugs. And it's like, and me and none of the faculty are doing anything about it. 
I have never liked that line. I remember at the time not liking that line. Specifically the line, um, and none of us are doing anything. Isn't that weird? It feels like it's like it feels like it's meta in a way the rest of the movie isn't. Right. I feel like the isn't that weird is Yeah. Is the sort of the the gilding the lily, I guess, or whatever, then we don't really need. Um But yeah, I yeah, he's. I bet there's a ton of stuff with him too, because he's only there for that scene and then to tell them that they're expelled. Yeah. Um, and Rob Riggle is probably in more stuff. I mean, according to the DVD special features, he must be. But it also feels like he was let. Though, I mean, I guess for me, Rob Riggle, a little bit of Rob Riggle goes a long way. I get, I like him, but I feel like he's very good at like those kind of like quick punches as opposed to like being allowed to just like go on forever mm-hmm. and uh i feel like here it kind of worked when he was on screen because he kind of appeared he did his thing and then that was it <laughs> which was good i i feel like there's <laughs> i feel like the reason uh, uh other than my normal te- normal temperament the reason why i'm coming across more negative is that it's kind of hard to discuss like a comedy that mostly works. Like, you know, there's kind of a, well, what are you going to say? So I guess we could just do, I don't know, wh- what scenes made you laugh out loud? I'll start. <laughs> um, during the drug freakout scene, uh, when Channing Tatum appears to be doing a math problem and is just saying gibberish movie quotes, and then he turns <laughs> around and he has just scrawled the number four over and over and over. <laughs> like, it's not even gibberish. It's just the number four. And that, in the in the credits, you can see that they tried a few different reveals. You see one mm-hmm. more where he turns around and he's just written boob in big letters. And that would not have made me laugh nearly as hard as just the number four over and over and over again which is so dumb (laughs) i really liked the the dave franco reading of do you know what they do to good looking guys like me in prison it rhymes with great and then he says it like even like like he's so committed to that line it rhymes with great and I don't know. There was something about that reading that was very funny. To me. Well, I, I think his performance is good, but I, I that is definitely my um, my suggestion for ooh that wouldn't fly today. I feel like we're a bit over uh, the the male. Oh, the rape, rape joke itself. Uh, yeah, I I don't think it was like novel or anything like that. But I just like there was something about this his delivery that oh, he's, really yeah. made me chuckle about it. <laughs> they doubled down on that joke in the second movie in my least favorite scene of the second movie where oh, Rob yeah. Riggle and Dave Franco come back and now he's like Rob Riggle's bitch and it's just super unpleasant. Yeah, well, you know what I said. A little bit of Rob Riggle goes <laughs> a long way. Um, oh, another uh, an- another thing that I really liked was the one of the nerds. They kind of set it up as like a blowjob joke like uh mm. as they're in the bathroom stall and then you cut to like one of the nerds saying we're getting such good evidence yeah yep. <laughs> something which was very very cute you guys are so good at this oh oh cinnamon this is great um i loved i'll, I'll, I'll stick with dave franco i loved um the line uh oh it must be so cool having parents that don't care about you yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and then he just looks sad. 
in the d- deleted scenes, I'll, I'll do a deleted scene that's that's a positive. Um, they oh, continue boy. that scene, and it's really funny. He they continue walking into his dad's mansion, and uh, Jonah Hill goes, "What does your dad do anyway? Is he Scarface or something?" And um, uh, Dave Franco goes, "Oh, he's a doctor." And Jonah Hill's like, "Oh, cool, cool, Doctor Pepper distributor." <laughs> <laughs> I don't know why they cut that. It's really funny. <laughs> that is a funny joke. Um, what else did I like? I did like in the bicycle arrest scene, just like the reckless like shooting the gun. In the yeah. like, so <laughs> that was the that is the the pushing it too far that I like them humping humping the arrested guy. Well, I mean, okay, there's a bunch of things we can talk about. We could talk about uh, the ways of. Police in fiction has uh, uh, people's um, interest in that has definitely waned in the past few years. Uh, not enough, um, but <laughs> I I don't know. Does this movie fall into the propaganda thing? I don't think any more than you can in any movie where the the heroes are police. Um, but I think right. what might be more interested interesting in in a the times times have changed and a decade has passed kind of way is the movie's depiction of teens of 2011 and of teens of 2005. Um, now we are the latter and not the former. And now there are no teens of 2011 because there are teens of 2022. So <laughs> what do you think about all the, um, I remember loving and thinking it was so clever. The whole thing about how Channing Tatum's popular kid of 2005 would not be popular in 2011. Oh yeah, I I think all that stuff was really good. I I would also say that. So I'm reading this uh, Chuck Klosterman book right now about the '90s, and his whole thing, uh, or not his whole thing, but he references the idea uh, of the slow cancellation of the future, uh, and the whole concept is basically that. We are now living in a cultural moment where there's nothing really new being created. We have access to everything that's ever been created uh, in history. And so every piece of popular culture kind of just references past popular culture and... Uh, one of the examples that he kind of brings up is that if you were to watch uh, a show on television or something from the 60s and a show from the 80s or the 90s, you can tell which one of them came first. And you can tell uh, that they are stylistically different. But then if you watch pop culture from our present, that it's kind of hard to tell what was made in today as opposed to 10 years from now uh, or uh, 10 years ago. And that was kind of what I was thinking while I was watching 21 Jump Street. I feel like technology signifiers aside, it still feels like the teens of 2011 would probably be depicted in a very similar way as the teens of 2022. Um, but, uh, 
but yeah, and I feel like the teens of 2005 kind of belong to that probably like last vestige of, you know, just like be like, I guess like culture demarcated by time. And now we're sort of in a culture that's sort of timeless and is kind of the same. Or, of course, it is possible that we are at an age now where all teens that come after us kind of blend together. Um, no, I, I, I suppose that's true. But I feel like uh, there was nothing that felt dated about the way that the teens were depicted in that movie to me. Um, whereas, like, it, it definitely felt like the sort of the Channing Tatum teens were definitely markedly different. And perhaps that's for the joke. I mean, that's probably very true. But I feel like if you were to make a teen comedy, not like a euphoria, but if you were to make like a teen comedy or an action movie with teens, they would kind of behave similarly to what they, to how they behave in 21 Jump Street. I don't know. I talked for a long time. <laughs> well, I mean, but speaking about the technology, the one thing I, I, I noted, and I think the one way you could see the teens of now being born, I guess, 10 years ago, <laughs> is um, they have to comment on the fact that uh, the, um, uh, the, what's his name, young Neil taped himself and put himself on the internet. Oh, yeah. Um, it, it's played like a fun joke. But it is thing I you would not have to have a, any comment nowadays. Um, That's true. I feel like that is truly the only. And again, I don't necessarily subscribe to the whole like slow cancellation of culture concept mm. necessarily wholly, but it does feel like that the only ways that now we can date movies is through their use of technology if they are set in whatever era that they are supposed to be set. Because, like, clothing-wise, it feels like everything is retro and everything is all the time. Hairstyle, the same. Like, we don't have that much technological advances in terms of movie making anymore, really. It, all the movies kind of look the same mm -hmm. unless intentionally meant to not look the same. Well, so, yeah. The one time the clothing of the current teens is remarked upon is when Channing Tatum jokes about having to wear skinny jeans. And the, yeah, the backpacks. I guess that's oh, not yeah. really clothing, but yeah. Um, I mean, the backpacks <laughs> just things, it feels more like a thing that would, I guess, probably change every few years. <laughs> um, uh, but I, it's funny. So, what do you think about the 2005 section? I mean, well, here's the thing. Like I watch Euphoria, and I could I could see that like the teens of that show are no different than the teens of like Skins, who are no different than the teens of fucking you know my, my so-called so life. life. Um, and part of that is because teen archetypes are always going to stay the same. So like you say that the 2005 teens felt very similar, it felt very distinct from the 2011 teens. If you took that scene and just got changed the clothes and kept the script as is and moved it to another school, there's nothing specifically 2005 about it. A nerd asks out a, a hot girl and she says no, and a popular kid makes fun of him. Other than the fashion, there's nothing truly 2005 about it. I'm not complaining because the fashion choice of having Jonah Hill be dressed like Eminem is so brilliant and funny. Um, uh, 
But also, like, too late. 2005 is not when he would have been dressed up. It is 100% too late. But... That could that works as part of the joke. <laughs> no, that's true. I think what I meant in that the 2005 kids were different is the jokes that we get in the 20... The stuff they well, call out later. Yeah, like exactly. The, yeah. It's sort of like the gay jokes, you know, just like being pro-environment and sensitive is now better perceived than being a bully mm-hmm. in, and all that, which... Uh, which it feels like, you know, like how we talked about uh, those, uh, the deleted scene with them jerking off. That felt like that would be a 2005 teen movie thing, if uh, if at all. And it would definitely not be a 2012 teen movie thing. Yeah, I, I think, I guess, I want to say like, oh, well, now now teens are, are more, more um, you know, socially conscious. But I think it's, it's, it's more of a grat, you know, the ever ever progressing uh, progress. Hopefully, <laughs> until we turn <laughs> everything around and uh, uh, raise, <laughs> become a fascist country. We're gonna shoot the country. moon with our progressivism. Um, <laughs> can't wait for President DeSantis. Anyway, oh, um, uh, um, what was I gonna say? Like, I I feel like you know, obviously, if you could look at movies set a number of decades ago, you would see probably less bullying on account of race although you do still see that in movies that are race conscious because it turns out uh, racism never died but um oh. and I, but i'm also sure that in high schools around the country uh, i'm sure if we asked a 2022 15 year old gay kid he might have it easier depending on where he lives thank you Ron DeSantis. um <laughs> Uh, he might have it easier than a 2005 gay kid or a 2011 gay kid, but I'm sure it's not easy. Um, oh, for sure. I don't mean in actual life. No, I'm not saying, I'm not saying I, you do. Yeah. I just mean what is an acceptable depiction of normal quote unquote teens. Like what is sort of like the mainstream depiction of a teenager? What would be acceptable for them to find funny? What would it be acceptable for them to be like against Mm -hmm. or for and it feels like yes maybe uh we we keep progressing more to the left on the issues that you know which is good uh but for the most part it feels like it's kind of sort of on the same spectrum like we there's not it doesn't feel like we can like this is a fit. I mean, again, maybe maybe I'm just talking uh, like an old person. Maybe like we can improve by. <laughs> I got a lot, bad news so. for you. I'm sure we both are for an obvious reason. <laughs> well, yeah, but it just feels if it talks like, like a duck, it's old. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, it just feels like uh, there's been it. It seems like we we have gotten to a point that is already like so so positive compared to like where we were before Mm -hmm. and while there could still be improvements i feel like they would be smaller in that sense they would perhaps like be more inclusive towards trans people in the future that would be like more called out or something like that but in terms of 
I don't think we're ever gonna go back to finding like gay jokes funny or or bullying funny. Yeah, I think like we're we're talking about um, media depictions of teens. We don't know yeah. jack shit about actual teens. I could not tell no. you the last time I spoke to a teenager. Um, I cross the street when I see teenagers. <laughs> <laughs> That's not even a joke. I I I've probably. Uh, paid a teenager in a fast food restaurant at some point in the past few years um, uh, to make me a burger. But other than that, I don't know modern teens at all. But I, no. you know, so all we could talk about is uh, media depictions. I um, mean, it's in, and it's interesting to look at a show like um, uh, like Euphoria, where they have, you know, they're they're very uh, uh, a big thing is the trans representation, uh, however you feel it's been handled. Um, but they interesting, like they have a big storyline about the, 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 the main football cl- uh, player being, having sexual identity issues, um, which feels a, a little hacky for you, but, um, <laughs> but they have, uh, they have a big thing at the end of the second season with a big, uh, joke at gay joke at his expense, um, and the big difference is that he is the one who goes, that's homophobic. Um, <laughs> but like, I think maybe the big change in media is maybe not, it maybe coincides with um, the leaps culturally for hope, not not successfully, but in many ways successfully um, that we have in LGBT uh, uh, QA plus um, uh, acceptance. I think maybe it's coincided with that, but actually maybe the bigger issue is that we as a society have learned more about the seriousness of teenage bullying so that the depictions right. of that does change. Um, mm-hmm. Like I'm sure, you know, teens bully each other all the fucking time. That's a part of life. Adults do too. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and probably a lot for the same exact reasons they always have. They just use different language. They're not, you know, saying someone's not on fleek anymore. Right, that is definitely a thing they say, John. <laughs> what else did that McDonald's cashier told you? <laughs> well, I think, yeah, I think, especially with regards to bullying, I think there's been a raised awareness of, like you said, adults being bullies too and kind of calling it out and recognizing it wherever you see it. Um, so I suppose that's good. You know what I think would have been interesting? I, I, I'd love to hear what someone who was a teenager when this movie came out. Because, like, to me, as someone who was a teenager, who is the, as someone who is the exact age of these uh, main characters, I graduated in 2005. Yeah, I'd love to see some uh, uh, <laughs> upper mid millennial uh, representation on screen. Um, it's, it's us, this movie and Euro Trip are the two movies that are very specifically class of 2005. Um, but, uh, <laughs> um, I, as someone who is that age, those scenes about how things have changed in high school between those six years, they, f- or sorry, seven years, 20, I keep saying 2011, this movie's 2012. Um, that's why we're doing it. Um, that feel that felt right to me that did make me go in 2012 when i saw this movie like yeah things are different now but i wonder if a 2012 (laughs) teenager watching this movie was like were they like this doesn't feel like an accurate depiction of the parking lot of my everyday school um or were they or because they don't know what it's like to be a teen in 2005 they were just like yeah yeah i guess it was much worse back then 
Well, I also wonder how much of what you remember of 2005 was actually like the way it was depicted then, you know? It's kind of like easy when you look back at things, kind of look at, at back at them from the perspective of the person that you are currently mm-hmm. versus like the person you were at the time. So it could very much be that, okay, this is not a realistic scenario, but if you were in 2005 somehow watching this movie from 2012, you would have been like, oh, no, this is not, this is kind of reductive. We are not all Eminem lookalikes and, <laughs> you know, whatever else. Um, but yeah, it that is a good point because I feel like at no point, I think the thing that teenagers are famous for is, uh, you know, finding depictions of uh, teenagers be lame and not accurate as they happen uh, to them, I guess. Mm-hmm. I don't know that there's any shows for teens that is, is appreciated by the teens themselves. It always feels like shows about teens are usually targeted either at preteens yeah. who are, are aspirational or targeted at older people. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, whereas, like, I don't know that teens usually watch stuff about teens, and maybe that's because it's never actually an accurate representation. No, they want to watch stuff about through. college kids or hot yeah, 20 year olds so, fucking exactly. without their parents bothering them. <laughs> um. Yeah. Yeah, because I don't know how many, I mean, I don't frequent whatever, you know digital spaces teens frequent these days but i only hear adults talk about euphoria it seems like a thing that like only old people talk about and i would actually be curious if any teens are into that show well it's a very large audience base it does uh, gangbusters numbers so i would assume at least some of those people are actual teenagers here's a here's a fun question for you so we are at uh, the age of the older characters of this. Okay, go back to imagine. Go back ten years, twenty twelve. If you <laughs> less as a police action, but more as a Cameron Crow researching Fast Times at Ridgemont High action. If you went yeah. back a few <laughs> years later, uh, first off, do you think you could have passed? And secondly, <laughs> how uh, how poorly would you have fit in? So I'm asking you to look back at two different times in your life, 10 years ago and uh, 17 years ago. Oh my um, God, 17 years ago? Jesus Christ. <laughs> I I will say, and not to tune my own horn, but people have always said that I look young for my age. So I can see myself passing looks wise. Mm-hmm. Though I feel like I would definitely look way better put together than I ever did in high school. <laughs> Uh, because I was an awkward looking teen. Um, but I don't know, fitting in. No, I probably would. Yeah. I'm, I, I'm tr- I, I would probably not. I, I'd imagine I would fit in very poorly. I'm trying to look up some pictures of me at 2012, uh, in 2012, <laughs> um, well, I had a beard for a large part of it. Uh, no, I don't. I I don't know that thirty-five-year-old me could have passed. Uh, <laughs> could have passed in high school. But then again, I I barely passed when I was in high school. Have I told the story on this podcast before? No. Um, <laughs> when I was 
I guess I would have been either 16 or 17 when this story took place. Um, and I was at, uh, uh, don't, don't be shocked, everyone. I was at theater camp. and <laughs> Whoa. That guy fucks. This is going <laughs> to totally ruin my image of a total badass. Um, but I was at theater camp. Well, you say this guy fucks, but I, you know, was one of the straight guys at theater camp. I, oh, of course. I'm I, sure you got plenty of I uh... absolutely did not fuck anyone. Uh, <laughs> but, but. I did, uh, uh, <laughs> I did, uh, play way out of my league dating wise. Um, uh, one year, two pretty girls fought over me. Just saying, they fought over wow. who got to sit next to me. Um, Look at you, Aaron Carter. <laughs> I am in every ways uh, like Aaron Carter. Uh, wait, I, what's he up to now? I take that back. Um, uh, I think he has problems. Yeah, I take that back. Um, but I, uh, so. One of those girls, I ended up, I ended up dating her. Um, uh, she she did some modeling. That later. guy dates. She did some modeling later. Just saying, uh, we may have gotten Ooh. to second base. It's okay. Cattle. Uh, <laughs> but uh, so uh, we started dating, and this other boy at theater camp had a big crush on her, and um, she told him uh, that she was dating me, and I was standing there, and he had <laughs> he yelled at. Him? And he pointed at me and goes, him? He looks fucking 40. (laughs) (laughs) Which is something that Dave Franco says to Channing Tatum in this movie. That's true. You were the Channing Tatum of theater camp. (laughs) No, but I apparently, I look, I I can look up pictures when I was in high school. I didn't look 40. (laughs) Well, I mean, we must concede that uh, for people to not believe that you go, to high school would be an even bigger leap mm. in in real life. No one, w- people would just assume, yeah, he's old looking, but he has to. Go- Who would voluntarily go back to high school? I think teachers so would be m- like, "Who? Th- what the? What's up with that kid?" I don't think I could pull off the camera crow even at twenty five. <laughs> I don't think I could have done it. I think people would have been like, "What's his fucking deal?" It's also because my hairline receded a bit at twenty one. So. Oh. Oh. <laughs> I think I would have had an even harder time. You would have had to put on a wig. I feel like I, I could have I could have definitely like pulled off, you know, the age thing. I would just Yeah, I, I I would would not know what to talk to teens about. Isn't that the ultimate like isn't that a fantasy that a lot of people have? I mean like, oh man, if I could go back to high school I'd do it so much better. Like <laughs> And I, I just think that, like, no. I, I think this movie does get it more right. Like, forget, like, beyond the, like, changing of the times. I think if I went back to high school, I'd be, like, so intimidated. Even as a 25. <laughs> either you're old enough that you feel out of place or you're young enough that you still see these people as close to your peers. So you'd just be as intimidated as you were the first time. Yeah, and there would be nothing more embarrassing than being intimidated by, like, a pimply 17-year-old. Hey, I still am. <laughs> they scare the shit out of me. I mean, that was kind of another funny thing about the 21 Jump Street is how, you know, they were craving the approval of, like, children. Yeah. And obviously, I mean, that's part of the movie, but that was, like, a very funny observation. <laughs> yeah, I, I think there are so many funny threads in here. I love the idea that they... Just the basic... The basic character stuff of their relationship and the fact that their roles are reversed, 
What mm-hmm. an obvious, what a like obvious idea in such a way that it's such a good idea. Right. That like, of course that's a, like, I don't know. It's just, I actually was one of the people who, I know a lot of people like the second one more. I think I, I definitely like this one more. And I think a lot of it is because that stuff is so clean and well executed. I just love their friendship. I love, like, you know, I really feel for Channing Tatum when he becomes the nerd. I mean, he's like a big, like, Hulk of, I don't know, just nerdiness. He's so good. You talk, <laughs> you talked about how, like, how good his performance is. But yeah, the, there's, there's things he does that... Um, when he's playing a uh, Jenko. By the way, is it a joke on Jenko jeans? Oh, that's a good question. I because I was wondering if those were the names of the original Twenty One Jump Street. No, because they use then, their actual names. Yeah. yeah, but then they end up using their names. So I mean, <laughs> that would be funny if it is. What would be a Schmidt a reference to? I think it's just supposed to be a nerdy sounding name and a Jewish sounding name. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but, uh, yeah, like, I'm trying to think of some of the scenes where he's, like, um, like, I when he, they listen to uh, Jonah Hill and the popular kids making fun of him, like, he just plays that scene so well. And I, I think that's the stuff where I wish there was more meta humor here, because I like it, for the most part, when it happens. Um, Ice Cube introduction notwithstanding. Um, I mm. like it when it happens. Um... Uh, but the st- actual story stuff, the actual just regular action comedy stuff works really well. And so much of that has to do with the central relationships. I love the two of them together. And I really like Jonah Hill and Brie Larson together. You know, it's it reminds mm-hmm. you how part of his appeal and his breakout role was his interplay with Emma Stone in uh, um, Super Bad. Super Bad. Like, he's very good at that nerdy guy flirting with the girl. Uh, but I I think, like, we talked a lot about Channing Tatum, but I think Jonah Hill's also excellent in this movie. Oh, he's great. Also, I have a weird Jonah Hill anecdote, is that yeah. uh, when I uh, uh, was an intern living in L.A., uh, we were just hanging out at a mall about to see Greenberg, the Ben Stiller movie. <laughs> and he was hanging out with some like people at the same food court. And we like got to talking to him and he was super nice. Uh, and uh, yeah, so Jonah Hill, an all around very nice dude. Oh, I right. always I always wish for good stuff for him. But yeah, I mean, I like credit to Miller and... Uh, Lloyd though for figuring out that Channing Tatum could be funny though I was just like looking through his filmography was this his first big comedy performance that was his first big comedy thing he's great at I it. mean yeah the same year Magic Mike came out which I guess is not necessarily a comedy but is, is more self-aware but prior to this he did a lot of like weepy he did G.I. Joe he did Dear John The Vow uh, step up to the streets step up like so he did or like fighting like generic like angry i guess like young man movies but yeah he was never so whoever realized that he has great comedic chops i mean heads off because he's i feel like every movie that he's in where he is funny he is the highlight of the movie he is so good at that 
And I wonder how much it is of me just saying that because he's so handsome. <laughs> and it's kind of <laughs> just like, you know, it, I wonder how much it is sort of, you know, the Dr. Uh, Drew from 30 Rock, like the John Hamm, everyone just giving him insane, like, benefits of the doubt mm-hmm, because mm-hmm. he's so handsome. I don't think that is true f- for me in the case of Channing Tatum, but something to be aware of, I suppose. <laughs> um. So I want to talk, we've talked a bit about this sequel. I want to talk a bit about the sequels that didn't happen. Uh, I think we've talked about the emails that got released in the Sony hack before. Uh, uh, And a lot of the emails, so it's from the same time period. So a lot of the emails have to do with this franchise. Well, there are tons of other emails, but there are a few about this franchise. First, uh, there's an email that was hacked. And yeah, maybe we shouldn't. get enjoyment from stolen property from uh, North that North Korea stole illegally the same way you should, you know, never look at leaked nudes, but fuck it. Uh, these emails <laughs> are very funny. Uh, when 22 jump street uh, had its opening number, uh, Channing, T-ma- Channing Tatum emailed in a thread with Jonah Hill and uh, then Sony pictures uh, chair, Amy Pascal. Is she still there? I don't know. But uh, no, she was fired because of yo, some emails. Right, right, um, right, because they got racist. Anyway, um, uh, he says his email is in all caps, and he says, "We got Kate Blanchett with this box office, bitches." <laughs> F you, Ted. I assume it came out the same week as Ted, the the Seth the McFarlane Mark Wahlberg thing. Second of all, time, biatch. I think it was the second of all uh, R-rated comedy opening. Come on, Jump Streeters. We got Kate Blanchett with this box office, bitches. And then it's ah ha 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 In all caps, for about, I'm going to show you on the screen, 50 Oh my God. 50 this lines. Is, this is mental patient level of ha ha ha. This is like something they did with like the Joker. And like the Dark Knight, <laughs> that sequel did very well. So they were talking it was about great. Me- so they were trying to plan um, ha- what they were going to do. And obviously, if you've seen Twenty Two Jump Street, one of the most famous parts is the credits, where yeah. they basically make fun of all the possible sequel ideas that they could make. And then mm-hmm. Twenty Two Jump Street made a shit ton of money, so they were actually trying to come up with what a sequel would be. And since that those credits had already made fun of, okay, we go to this type of school, we'll take this occupation, we'll do this. They were like, we have to do something weirder. So what they were thinking for a while were crossovers with other Sony-owned franchises, um, including the thing they were thinking for a while was uh, MIB 23 or 23 MIB, <laughs> which is the two of them joining Men in Black. And there is. I think I heard about that one actually. Well, I will always. I'm still. I'm trying to find this. I will always remember it because Jonah Hill's email about it is so fucking funny. Um, oh God, where is this email? Oh yeah, <laughs> this is Jody Hill. Jonah Hill emailing Amy Pascal. Uh, instead of all caps like Channing Tatum, this is no caps. Jump Street merging with MIB. I think that's clean and rad and powerful. (laughs) (laughs) Clean and red and powerful. So I I think there was a there was another sequel with them that they considered. um, uh, Let me see. So yeah, they considered MIB Jump Street. 
Uh, and then in 2015, they were actually in the process. They were in development. I guess they were in development with the Men in Black one too. But they were in the process of developing Jump Street Now for Her Pleasure, which would have been a female-led version um, with Tiffany Haddish and, and Zendaya and Aquafina. No. Oh. Um, no, no, no. The Cape Blanchett thing was, I'm sure that it means that I think they beat some Cape Blanchett movie. Oh, no, I know. It's just very funny to oh. me that Cape Blanchett. <laughs> um, but see if you can guess. Well, I don't know for sure, but I have a good guess why Jump Street Now for Her Pleasure didn't happen. See if you can guess the same thing I guess. So what is it? Does it have to do with the cast? They announced this. Oh, well, think about it. It's not the cast. Well, her, it's her, kind her. of the cast. Uh, I I don't know. I can't think of anything. So they announced this project in 2015. Oh, is this like a Me Too thing? A female-led reboot of a oh, previously male franchise uh, from Sony in 2015. I would imagine just a few months after this announced, they dropped the trailer for Ghostbusters and... The backlash to that, I'm sure, squashed that movie because it's that Hollywood thinking of like, well, I guess people don't like women. Well, listen, you will hear no backlash against Lady Ghostbusters for me. I still maintain it's the best Ghostbusters. Um, it's Ghostbusters <laughs> co- colon answer the call. Thank you very much. All right. Well, I feel like we veered off enough that we can probably uh raid this movie sure well is there anything um i guess we kind of covered uh uh we don't give this segment it's it's proper proper introduction uh anymore but um ooh, that wouldn't fly today do you have anything else um not really no i mean yeah i guess like the grape thing uh was probably i feel like you know in two years when we Watch 22 Jump Street. We'll talk about the Rob Riggle stuff, I suppose. <laughs> but here, I don't know that I necessarily had anything uh, that jumped at me, I suppose. What year was the Tosh.0 um, uh, 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 rape joke thing that really started that conversation? Well, you, you really brought that conversation. that I do not remember Tosh.0 milestones. Uh, well, it was the, the Daniel Tosh stand-up set where he mocked the woman for getting upset about rape jokes and then said he hopes like the whole audience rapes her or something and then right like, no it started i remember what it was i don't remember he is not anyone i was ever interested in wow this Even is insane i just googled a uh, tosh rape joke and i saw the headline of the daily beast why daniel tosh's joke rape joke at the laugh factory wasn't funny and i went to see when it was published and it was two days ago Wait, no, okay. <laughs> okay, so... John, your phone is the Daily the Beast. The Daily Beast, I guess, just uh, republishes things? I don't know. But um, no, it was 2012. Oh, That whole so conversation was in 2012, which is interesting. Oh. Well, so. uh, do you have anything? No, no, really just that. Just Tosh.0. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> all right, well, I do want to give it a grade. Yeah. Um, All right. right. 
Three, Three two, two, one. one. B plus. A minus. Hey. Oh. Off by half. I'm surprised you didn't go higher. I mean, I'm a, I'm a stricter grader than you are, John. Well, I mean, I, I could would consider giving this an A, but I just don't. I think an A is hard to get from me. Um, but an A minus is yeah about as good as you can get from me. I can I can That's see not being true, a but you have to be gen- really great. But I do. I mean, there's so much of this movie that w- still works so well. Um, it's still great. I mean, B plus B plus is a very good grade. No, I get it. You you hate this movie, Mrs. Veronica, or Miss Veronica. What would be my teacher name, Miss? Uh, Mrs. Marvel, starring Brie Mrs. Larson. <laughs> Magnificent Mrs. Marvel. <laughs> there's a Mrs. Marvel. Oh, uh, I, I bet that SNL sketch has already happened. <laughs> um, uh, I don't think it actually has. No, I guess they would consider it too close to the Black Widow rom-com sketch. Oh, yes. I mean, if anything, they're all about originality. <laughs> <laughs> Never repeat material. Sorry. Sorry, Lauren. Sorry, Lauren. Sorry, John. I know, I know you're a common, a common uh, listener. Um, yeah he's our one listener yeah people don't realize that the only regular listener of the show is lord michaels uh he might have been offended that i didn't like wayne's world more oh yeah well well i'll take this chance to apologize uh sorry lauren um all right well john have you seen anything of note recently Ooh, i have we saw it together and we've talked a lot about it yeah uh, actually I've, I've seen two i've had a, a genuinely good period of movie watching of new movie watching after you know enjoying the batman more than i expected listen to the last episode to hear more about that um <laughs> i saw two movies that i thought were just great um two four and a half stars on my letterbox in a row Ooh. can you fucking believe it when was the last time that's happened um, the first one was, uh, Disney Pixar's Turning Red, um, which I think is just great. I thought it was delightful. I loved the animation style. I loved the eyes, um, like, I guess, uh, manga the and anime, anime inspired eyes. eyes with the pupils constantly changing colors and emoting, uh, emoting through changing size, the very dynamic eyes. Um, I, I just thought it was so fun. I, you know, it. I was fine with it just being, you know, basically uh, a, a female-centric teen wolf. Um, I was fine if that was all it was. But then it really turns into the movie beyond the the puberty metaphor that people have talked so much about. Uh, the movie becomes more about um, the the challenges of being the 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 child of parents that demand um, perfection. Um, and there's, you know, I'm sure cultural specifics in that, that I can't speak to, but that level, even though I didn't have perfectionist parents or else I probably would have turned out better, but I still (laughs) found that very relatable. Um, uh, and I just thought it was an excellent movie. And then, um, last weekend we went to see Ty West's, Ty West's X. That's hard to say. Ty West's, Ty West is the writer director. His new movie X, just the letter. Um, Not his ex-girlfriend. No, we went to, to see his clear. ex. Yeah, we went to, <laughs> to, I went to have dinner with his ex. Uh, but she dished the tea. She's lovely. Uh, <laughs> she actually said they had a great relationship. Uh, no, uh, his movie <laughs> X, um, which is 
for those of you who don't know, is a horror, kind of horror comedy, uh, more horror though, um, that is basically Texas Chainsaw Massacre meets Boogie Nights. Uh, it's set in the 70s. A, uh, a low-budget independent porn crew goes to film a pornographic film at a, a barn that they rent out um, without telling the owners that that's what they're using the barn for, and uh, hijinks ensue. Um, but the thing is, so I, I've always had a theory that there are um, scary horror movies and there are fun horror movies, and I love both. But the difference is fun horror movies, while they want to get you to jump a few times, primarily want you to have a good time. Most slasher mm-hmm. movies are just fun horror movies. Um, then there are horror movies that genuinely want to unsettle you, and those are the scary horror movies. Um, X, in everything from the marketing to the premise to just the structure of the movie, feels like it's a it's the it's the premise and structure of a fun horror movie that is secretly a scary horror movie. Um, and it's uh very unsettling. I <laughs> it is about you know the the scariest thing. Uh, uh, the scariest thing in human existence. Um, yeah, uh, I gasped, and also giant loudly. gators. <laughs> um, yeah, I gasped loudly. We watched it together. Mm-hmm. I feel like I was probably a very rowdy audience member, but I had a great time. Yeah, it was a profoundly sad horror movie, but was also very fun and funny. Uh, yeah, and I also liked uh, uh, Turning Red. Um, from kind of the same reasons that you enumerated. Uh, also, as a girl who was very much into boy bands, obviously, mm-hmm. you know, close to my heart. Uh, that whole climax and, is is excellent at the concert. Um, yeah. I'll, I'll let you continue, but I'll just say to people listening, um, we're going to release this this week. You still have time to go see X in a crowded theater. I'm sure the good word of mouth is going to bring a bunch of people out this weekend Go see it with a crowded audience. Uh, it'll be worth it. Yeah, it was fun. Probably, preferably a drunk or high <laughs> audience too. Uh, and I will, the last thing I will add is that I saw Deep Water, mm. the new erotic thriller from the house of Adrian Line. <laughs> and uh, I really enjoyed it. I I can recognize that this movie is not quote-unquote perfect and maybe the cinema literati would have some issues with its pacing and or plotting and or acting and or character motivations but i don't give a fuck because erotic thrillers are fun and they should we should be making more of them and i love a movie where the character makes no sense unless you really evaluate their actions through the prism of them being guided solely by their respective genitalia (laughs) and it's it's great it's great it's also like very i don't know it's well directed it like has a good sense of place and it's sexy but also not sexy it has snails in it it's great check out deep water (laughs) awesome okay i i might i i like sexy movies i do like erotic this guy fucks i fuck i date it's true (laughs) Uh, <laughs> uh, less. I'm in a relationship now, so less dating, but but more fuck. You know, 
ask her i i'm not gonna say that on the podcast (laughs) the relationship's new enough now that i'm not gonna go i'm not gonna say that openly on a podcast i mean Uh, no matter how old your relationship is you should probably that's true that's true um i don't talk about all the fucking i do morning day and night guys don't yeah (laughs) (laughs) we do we should Go into graphic detail about our sex lives more okay, in this podcast. Okay, next podcast, we promise Lauren Michaels. Yeah, well, <laughs> that's what we'll be talking. In about. addition to hardcore fuck talk, what else could we be talking about in our next episode? So this will be two weekends from now. What's coming out? Yeah, so the only wide release that weekend is Morbius. Sorry, oh Jared my God. Leto. Uh, but I am secretly hoping that the Lost City, which comes out this weekend has enough staying power for us to talk about it I the week after. I think that's very likely. I am very interested in the response to Morbius. Um, speaking <laughs> of uh, Sony, um, their attempt to make a non-Spider-Man, Spider-Man franchise of every tertiary Spider-Man character, I am fascinated by it. Venom has shockingly been a, been a success, but boy, does Morbius feel like a roll of the dice. But not as much as the... Recently announced Madam Web starring Dakota Johnson and Sydney Sweeney. Oh, <laughs> Whatever boy. the fuck that's gonna be. Um, but yes, maybe we'll be talking about Morbius. I would not be surprised if we're talking about the Lost City or God doing another episode on the Batman. <laughs> I I mean I would talk about Channing Tatum again. So we might have I'm a rooting for the Lost City. A Tatum twofer, a tattoo, a tate. A tutum, a tutum. You know what that sounds like? Toot toot. Toot toot. So long, everybody. Bye. (laughs) That was perfect.